Well, let's go ahead and uh, pray together before I get started, and uh, we'll go from there. Lord, we just thank you for uh, today. We thank you for the beautiful morning that you've given us, the sunshine. Uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, uh, you'd speak through me today. Um, I pray that you would bless us with your message and your words about how valuable we are in your eyes. And uh, uh, yeah, Lord, we just pray that you'd lead us today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Pastor, as he said, he asked me to speak, and so I thought, well, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to talk about something that's uh, important to a lot of missionaries. Uh, we go overseas or we leave our homes and everything because um, one of the things, hopefully, that we see is value, value in other people. Um, hopefully, we don't go overseas um, and think, wow, these people are uh, not that valuable, because uh, that would make us a pretty lousy missionary. So... Um, I wanted to speak on you, uh, uh, about that to you today. There are a couple of ways um, that we can view this, and I kind of wanted to split this up as kind of a bad news first, good news second. Okay, so if you have to leave halfway through this, that is really too bad. Um, so let's, we're going to start there with, with uh, kind of the, the bad side of things first. Now, um, everybody wants to feel valued. We all want to feel like we have a place, like we belong somewhere, right? How many people like to feel valuable here? Those who didn't raise your hands are lying. So that is something that we all need, okay? And, and we, we will go about this in different ways. And some of that is a bit su- subconscious and some of that is a bit more conscious for us, right? Um, some of us will find a lot of value in our job titles, right? Have you ever noticed how job titles have changed over the year? Right? I'm not a garbage man, I'm a sanitation specialist. Or, you, know, uh, you know, it makes us feel maybe a bit more valuable or sound a bit more than we are. Not, no offense to anybody who happens to be a garbage man or sanitation specialist here. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll do things like that to try to kind of puff ourselves up, right? Uh, we, and, and some of that, it's not, all, it's not always bad, right? I mean, sometimes we do things that are of great value. Uh, but a lot of times, we will try to compete with each other, and that's how we'll try to gain our sense of value in this world, is by kind of a bit of a competition. And we see that in a lot of things. How many have ever tried to one-up somebody in a story, right? You're at a, a party, or you're at something like that, and somebody tells a story, and then you're like, in, in your, maybe not out loud, but in your head, you're like, that's nothing. Let me wait till I tell my story. This is really cool, Right? Now, sometimes we tell another story to relate, to show that I understand, or, or yes, I've been through something similar. Other times we're telling the story because, well, frankly, we're better, right? My story is better. This is a better way to go. We've all done this at some point in time, right? And we'll even be willing to compete in things that aren't really all that great, right? Like this scenario, this is not a happy scenario the guy is talking about, Okay, he's not giving us like, oh, wait, my story is so much better. The guy has a peg head. Okay, sometimes we will try to compete in silly ways to make sure that we feel valued in some way. My story is also just as traumatic. Please feel sorry for me. That's kind of what's going on here. Right. So one of the one of the areas and I think what this stems from a little bit um, a lot of people today, especially in our culture, and especially when we go to Spain, we're going to see this a lot too, but a lot of people believe that the universe, our, our world, 
ourselves came about on a, a grand accident. This is all big one, one big mistake. There was, a, there was a large bank somewhere, things spread out, stuff grew out of muck and stuff like that, and here we are today. And that leaves us really searching for value, right? We, uh, since there is no inherent value that's kind of given, we kind of have to create that. The problem with that is you're confronted with creation itself. You're confronted with the physical universe itself competing against you. So what I want to do is I, I, I saw... Uh, something done by Louis Giglio, and he was talking about um, planets and stars and stuff. And so I, I'm, I'm taking a bit of the information he used. I'm just going to use it in a little bit different way. But I'm taking a bit of this um, because I think it's going to really help us understand what I mean by we're having to compete for our importance with the rest of the universe. Okay, this is, this is uh, going to be uh, fun to do. So this, everybody's familiar with it? Everybody knows what this is, right? Okay, I'm glad everybody knows. So this is obviously the planet Earth. Uh, this is a famous picture. This was actually taken by the astronauts on Apollo 17. Uh, this uh, picture is called the Blue Marble. It's been called that. It's a really famous picture. Usually if you go online, you type in, uh, in Google search the Blue Marble. This is the picture that's going to come up for you. Um, so, and actually what's interesting, this, this picture here that you see um, isn't entirely accurate to how the Apollo 17 astronauts took it. When they took it and they sent it back to Earth, this is what it looked like. Okay? Um, so this, so when NASA received the picture, uh, they saw that and they're like, this, no, nobody's going to understand what this is. They flipped it up, well, right, up, right side, upside. They changed it, right? <laughs> so that when we saw it, we'd say, oh, yeah, I know what that is. That, that's Africa. That's, I understand. That, that's still Africa, by the way. It doesn't change when it's upside down. So... We're very familiar with the earth, right? This is, this is where we live. This is where we have our homes. This is where we grow up, live, and die. Most of us, uh, pretty much all of us, that's going to be the case. We're not going to go somewhere else and die. Most of us don't have plans to travel somewhere onto another planet, as far as I know. I haven't heard that from anybody. And we've, we've heard the term. A lot of people will say, you, you run into a friend in a place you weren't expecting, you say, oh, small world, small world. Okay, the world really isn't that small when we think about it. Okay, our Earth has a circumference of 24,901 miles. 24,901 miles. That's a long way around. Okay, that's quite a distance to travel in a, around. The diameter is 7,917 miles. Okay, there are 7 billion people on planet Earth. 7 billion. When you have to create your own value and compete, you have to compete with 7 billion people. Some of the most popular people today that we can think of are completely unknown in other cultures. Nobody is known by all 7 billion people. There are people that might think they are. We've all read the stories of, of the professional athlete or the the musician or somebody who gets pulled over by the, by the police officer and says the famous words, do you have any idea who I am? You know, do you have any idea? No, I don't. Uh, right? That, that's what we're kind of aiming for, right? And the whole small world, you know, the longest flight that you can catch today, the longest flight you can catch today goes from Dubai to Panama City 
And it's 17 hours long. 17 hours on an airplane. The earth is big. Even with all of our modern technology, even though it's all the things that we've created, it hasn't shrunk in size. A lot of times we say, well, because of the airplane, the earth shrunk in size. No, it's still the same size. We might be able to travel a bit faster, but you still have to sit on a plane for 17 hours. It's a long time. The problem is, we're not even the biggest planet in our solar system. Okay, this is just this is just the Earth. This is a small little aspect of of this universe that that supposedly popped out of nowhere by a mistake. Well, we have to compete with other things too. Well, this is Jupiter, right? This is actually the largest planet in our solar system. Most of you already know that. Okay, Jupiter is quite a bit larger than Earth. We we look at Earth and we're like, oh, you know, it's so big around and it takes so long to travel and everything else. Jupiter is quite a lot larger. I brought props to make this more fun. Uh, I brought a golf ball. This is going to represent Earth as we go through this, okay? I brought this because I knew Jerry would pay attention. <laughs> All right? This is going to represent Earth for us as we go through this, okay? So let's think of if everything else was in relation to this golf ball, okay? We have the size of Jupiter. Jupiter is about 11.2 times the size of Earth. Okay, so what that means here, I, I cut some, I cut a little piece of ribbon here, and if you hold it up like this, the Earth was the size of this golf ball, whoops, then Jupiter's, this is the diameter, the diameter of Jupiter is 18 and a half inches. Okay, this is Earth, that's Jupiter, the top of my reach right here. That's the difference in size. That's huge. Jupiter is so big, if you wanted to fill it with Earths, you could fit 1,321 Earths inside Jupiter. We feeling a little bit smaller now? Okay. We, first of all, we have to find ourselves on this. And then think of that, the, the relation that we have. Well, the thing is, Jupiter isn't even the biggest thing in our solar system, right? What's the biggest thing in our solar system? The sun. Very good. The sun. That's a picture of our sun, okay? Uh, we don't think about our sun, well, we think about it a lot here in Seattle because we want to see it, and thankfully we are today, but we don't think about it a lot, right? The, the sun is out there. Um, um, we don't think about it much because if I hold my hand up, I can shield the sun out of my eyes, right? The whole sun fits right in here, Okay? pretty cool actually it doesn't do that because the sun is actually pretty enormous the reason why we don't see the entire thing is because the sun is 93 million miles away okay so not only are we dealing with the the difference between our distances here on earth but then we have the distances in the physical universe itself 93 million miles nobody's car is going to have 93 million miles on it when they get done with it it's a lot of miles okay <clears throat> If this is the Earth, and the diameter, I'm going to come out here, I'm going to put this down, okay, if this is the Earth, you want to know what the diameter of the Sun is? I'm going to set this on the floor, I want you to look up, and you see these silver hoops? Those are about 15 feet off the ground. That's the Earth, that's the diameter of the Sun. That's a huge difference. It's an amazing difference. 
if you were to try to fill the sun with these, it'd be enough golf balls to fill a school bus. <laughs> we're still feeling smaller, right? Man, the stuff I do doesn't matter a whole lot. The funny thing is we have a medium-sized sun, a medium-sized star that we have at the center of our solar system. Medium. So that means there are bigger ones out there. One of them is the Betelgeuse star. Okay, this is a picture of it here. Okay, this is taken by Hubble. Okay, otherwise we can't see this. Right, so Hubble zooms in and we get a nice picture of the Betelgeuse star. So, first of all, that star is 427 light years away from us. Okay, a light year is the distance that light travels in a year. Okay, and light in one year travels about 5.88 trillion miles. So take that 5.88 trillion miles, multiply it by 427, and that gives you the total distance, which is a big number, right, that it's going to take to get to the Betelgeuse star. Okay, your Chevy won't go that far, right? That's a lot of miles. It's so distant that we can't even fathom distances anymore. But what it gets even more so is the size of this star. This star is huge, okay? So... Here's what we're going to do. To get an idea of the diameter of the star, we're going to take our golf ball. We're going to take our Earth, right? We're going to get on a plane. We're going to fly to New York City. When we get off the plane, we're going to go catch a cab, hail a cab. Hey, cubby. Right? He's going to stop. We're going to ask him to take us to the address of 350 Fifth Avenue. Does anybody even know where that takes us? The Empire State Building. I want you to go... To the base of the Empire State Building, I want you to set your earth down at the base of the Empire State Building, take a few steps back, look up, and then picture five more Empire State Buildings stacked on top of it. That's the diameter of the Betelgeuse star. That's the diameter. This is nothing <laughs> compared to that. If you wanted to see how many earths you could fit inside the Betelgeuse star... Let's take another trip, get back on a plane. This time we're going to fly over to New Orleans. Okay, we're going to get out of the airplane at New Orleans. We're going to go here. Okay, this is the Superdome in New Orleans. To fill the Betelgeuse star with Earths, you could fill the Superdome with golf balls 3,000 times. <laughs> Feeling smaller? How are we feeling so far? Good? Good? We're important, right? Oh, yeah, so important. Betelgeuse star isn't even the biggest star we know about. This is the biggest star we know about. Canis Majoris. In Latin, that means big dog. So it's the big dog star. Okay? Canis Majoris. First of all, how far is it from us? Canis Majoris is... 4,900 light years away. 4,900 light years away. So that's 5.88 trillion miles times 4,900. That's going to give you your total, right? So it's a long way away. But again, the size of the star is what really, is what really impresses. Okay, so we're going to take another trip, right? We're going to pack up our golf ball, uh, wear something warm. Okay, so we put on a nice parka or something like that. We're gonna, we're gonna, it might be a bit cold. So we're going to put on our 
parka. We're going to get on a plane. We're going to fly to Nepal. Okay, what's it, Nepal? Mount Everest. I want you to, we're all going to climb Mount Everest together. Okay, don't worry, we'll make it. We'll be fine. Okay, we're going to climb up Mount Everest. Okay, we get up to the top. Okay, and we're going to have to use our imagination. Let's say there's a vertical side to Mount Everest that goes all the way down to sea level. So we're going to open up our parker. We're going to pull out our earth. We're going to toss it over the side. And it's going to go all the way down. And when it gets down to sea level, that's six miles in difference. That's going to show us the diameter between earth and Canis Majoris. That is a big star. That's the biggest one we know of. That we know of. There might be something bigger. If you wanted to, fill, if you wanted to see how many Earths will, sit, will fit inside Canis Majoris, we're going to take a trip to Texas. Okay? In order to get an idea of this, we would be able to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls. 22 inches deep. (laughs) Now you have to find the one that you're on. (laughs) Yeah, we run into a lot of problems when we try to create our own importance when we want to view that this all just came out of happenstance or that we have any control over, well, you know, we're... The earth's getting too warm. Do you think the universe is going to care (laughs) if the earth disappears tomorrow based on the distances and sizes of everything that we've talked about? That means there has to be something more. So we're all feeling pretty small right now, right? I mean, it's just kind of the natural thing to have happen. And I'm going to close. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) So that's the bad news of it, right? If we're going to approach this on a theme of, of you know, there, there's just nothing else out there. But I can, make my, I can make myself, I can give myself my own importance. I can give myself my own value. I can create it myself. We have a lot to compete with. A lot to compete with. We're just, the value of a, of a person shrinks as we continue to explore the rest of the physical universe. It just shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. It's no wonder why people are feeling Helpless unimportant, uninvolved, why we have such a strong desire to be a part of something, even if it's just a professional sports fan base. Just let me be part of something. Well, there's good news. And this is the part that we've all been looking forward to, is the the good news side of this. We can gain a perspective of value, value in ourselves only through God, which means, first and foremost, we understand that we're created. If we are just accidents, if we just appeared out of nowhere, if we just kind of showed up through some primordial ooze that was there, then it's hard to value ourselves or value anybody else. But if we are created, okay, then inherently we're going to have a value. When we create things ourselves... We usually create them for a purpose, for a reason. We have a specific reason we want to create something, even if it's art, right? We want to beautify an area, or um, for some people, art just is a great release for them. It gives them something to do. They just happen to have a talent for it. There are purposes that we have for the things that we create. 
And even the things that we create as humans are, you know, it, it's not like what God creates. Okay? We create things that um, are temporal. They don't last forever. That's not what the types of things that God creates are. Right? And if we look in Genesis, and we look at the first chapter, we see through creation, and, and, and it states to us, it's, you know, God said, and it was. God said, and it was. And it goes through all of the creation, all six days. God said this, and it was. God said this, and it was. And you see that all through this verse, including with man. God said, let's make man in our own image. There he was. Boom. Okay? But the thing we have to remember is, Genesis, the way stories were told back then, is you would tell part of the story, and then you would jump back and fill in the details of, that, of some aspects of that story, and then continue on, and then jump back and fill in the details. So when we get into chapter 2, especially as we look at verses uh, 7 and uh, uh, 21 through 22, we see that he's starting to fill in some of the gaps about uh, the creation of man. Okay? So if we look at that here, and I actually um, type out my verses, um, I just find it a lot easier than trying to uh, turn especially since I use, I, I'm using a bit to, easier than uh, trying to turn the pages uh, through my Bible. So I, I type these out. Uh, Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dusty earth, uh, from the dusty ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What I find interesting in here is throughout all of creation, it says, God said, and it was. God said, and it was. But when he goes back to fill in details about man... It says God formed. It has a much more active sound to what's actually going on here. He didn't just say it, and then there was Adam. God had a part in this that he formed. Now, I don't know exactly what that looked like, but it gives the impression that perhaps God uh, got down and got his hands dirty, right? He worked in the soil, he worked in the dirt, and he formed man with his hands. And not only did he form him, once he got the form he wanted... Then he took a breath and breathed in the breath of life into man. He took an intimate, intimate steps in forming and creating man. And with those type of intimate steps, it implies a huge amount of value. And that's not even taking into account that he created us in his own image. So there's a huge amount of value that we gain for ourselves and other men just in the idea of how we were created. Uh, ladies, same for you, right? If we look at verses 22 through, um, uh, excuse me, 21 and 22, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with his flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. It's kind of the same thing, right? God takes very active steps in here. He takes the rib and he makes that rib into woman. So both us, both guys, gals, we were actively created, a hands-on approach by a tremendously large God who is bigger than all the things I just described, but he got down and formed each of us with his hands to be created. One with the dust of the earth, one with the rib of the man. I think that's why men tend to have an affinity for ribs. Ooh, ribs. That's, you know, that's, there's got to be something to that, right? Um, but that's, that's, you can see, you, you can already feel like, okay, yes, there is purpose here already. 
when we see that. That God came down from, from this, the, his, his great size, his, his massiveness, really, and then came down and formed man individually, used his hands, got dirty, got down on the ground, and then breathed life into man. Creation holds huge meaning to what it means to value ourselves and value other people. The other thing is that we, where we really gain value is to, is to be desired by somebody. And oftentimes, what I spoke about earlier, where we try to uh, kind of talk ourselves up or maybe give ourselves great titles or, and, and such, is we're trying to gain value with other people. But where we truly see value is when somebody values us even when we're at our worst. That's the hard thing in life, right? I, I, it's easy to accept people and find value in people when, when the people are really great to be with, right? How many think it's easier to be with somebody fun than somebody who's kind of a stick in the mud, right? Like, we value people differently at different times. Now, we're not supposed to, but that's what happens. But that's not what it says in the Bible about the way God has done it. In Romans 5.8, this is probably a verse we all know very well. God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? But the area, that verse I want to focus on the most at this point, is that while we were still sinners. Okay? So we had decided, we're, 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 we're turning away from God. We don't have, we, we've decided we didn't want to have anything to do with God. We're going to disobey him. We're going to turn our back on him. We're going to walk away from him. And this verse tells us, while we were still in that state, while we were still in the process of saying, enough of God, I don't want to have anything to do with you, God has done something for us. If that doesn't add value to somebody, I don't know what does. Because you can't get really any worse than that. You, you, can't, you can't insult somebody at a greater method than that, of saying, I, have, I don't want to have anything to do with you. It's a tremendous insult. It's, it almost doesn't matter what culture you're in. That is a huge insult. And that's what we said to God. And God was like, okay, but I am still going to do something for you. I, you're, there's still value in my creation. Whoops, sorry. We look at Luke. <clears throat> I love Luke. This is... Uh, uh, Luke 15, verses 4 through 7. I love what he says here because, again, it shows how God really um, is instilling the value that he shows in somebody. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and they go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who, uh, who need no repentance. What we gain from here is that we're so valuable, God is actively seeking us out. He's given us this great example of saying, hey, there are sheep out there, that's you and I, some of us, or that is, those are people around the world, that are lost at this point, and God is seeking them out. He's saying, I am going to go find my lost sheep, and when I find one, one comes home with me, I'm rejoicing. I'm telling everybody about it. Look who came home. Look what great news this is. 
They're back. It's wonderful. Who is not going to feel like they're valued and important when you know that the God of the universe is seeking you out? He wants you back. He wants to be back in relationship with you. If you're taking a naturalistic approach of where we came from, nobody is seeking you out. Nothing is seeking you out. Jupiter, the sun, those, those things that are so immensely large do not care if you're around. But if you believe in a creator God, he absolutely cares. He wants you back. And he's actively seeking you out is what Scripture's telling us. Romans 8:17 it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Not only is he seeking you out, but he's also seeking you to put you in a position you don't deserve. I think we can look at this as an equivalent. Let's say uh, you have uh, a, a king of a, of a country, right? And, and this king... This king actively starts to seek out lost, lonely, downtrodden people who have nothing to do with his country, nothing to do with his family, nothing to do with him. Finds them and then brings them in and makes them a part of his family. We see this in adoption sometimes, right? It's a little bit different. We already had a part with God. God created us. He, 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 he brought us into being and we actively walked away. Maybe the more appropriate one would be the prodigal son. We know that story. Prodigal son says, hey, dad, give me my inheritance. You know, that's basically the equivalent of saying, hey, dad, why don't you hurry up and die? I got things to do. That's what he's asking. If you're coming in and you're asking for your parents' inheritance, you're kind of saying like, hey, I know you've got what's mine, what's going to be mine eventually, and I'm just waiting for you to, to kick the bucket. So here's the bucket. Start swinging. That's kind of what you're saying. Okay? And so the prodigal son comes in and he says, Mom, Dad, I want, my, I, I want my inheritance and I'm out of here. And he goes off and he spends it wildly and he does all these things that he, that he shouldn't be doing, makes terrible decisions. The father is out there actively seeking him day to day. When he does return... Who's the first one out there to meet him? You know the story well, right? Dad runs out. Oh, man, my son is back. I'm so glad my son is back. What a, what a great illustration of what we're seeing in here, of God is saying, I'm trying to bring you back in relationship. You had something. You had everything you could possibly need with me. You decided to leave. But when you're brought back, you're brought back into the family. You're brought back, back in as an heir. I'm not going to keep you out on the outside. I'm not going to tell you, no, you know, sorry, you walked away. Tough. No, I'm going to bring you back in as an heir. The other way we can see a lot of values is if we are served by somebody, and especially if we're served by somebody greater than ourselves. We've all seen people who are served by others, right? Um, the first thing, when I, the first person I can think of it would be like the president, right? The president has a lot of people who serve him. He has a secret service. Um, he has a private chef. He, there are a lot of people that serve the president, okay? A lot of that is because the president's a busy man. He doesn't have a lot of time on his hands to, you know, to always make his own dinner, okay? The guy's just, he's just busy, okay? He's, he's got a lot of responsibility. 
Okay? He also has secret service because, well, frankly, there are a lot of people out there that want to harm the guy, which is really unfortunate, but that's the way the world works, unfortunately. He has a lot of people that serve him. Okay? But how often do we see in the world today, how often do we see a king or a president or a leader step down out of their office, whether it's the Oval Office, whether it's their throne, whatever that place is that they lead, step out and then actually serve other people. Go down and get their hands dirty. Go down and, and, and do something. Now, we, talk, we call them public servants here in this country. Uh, you, you can debate amongst yourself whether how true that can be sometimes. Okay? But oftentimes, uh, most of us would recognize, say that, well, I don't know how much we view them as public servants. We don't see a lot of service, per se. We see a lot of leadership, which is very different, um, oftentimes. Imagine if uh, President Obama came in here and decided to wash everybody's feet. be pretty cool. Whoops, sorry. Back up. There we go. Uh, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. We establish, we establish that who, who God is in this verse, right? We establish who we're talking about. And when we move on to verse 14, it's the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So God, the creator of all of this, as a service to us, comes down from his great place and comes to us as a baby. Now we just looked at ourselves in comparison to the rest of the universe. And it talks about how God stretched out the universe with his hands, right? Well, okay, so if he's stretching out the universe with his hands, he is much bigger than this, okay? Yet he, was, he, he brought himself down from that to, to, be, to live with us, to live on earth, to come as a baby. It makes me think of um, the, the movie Aladdin. When we saw the movie Aladdin, there's a, there's a scene in there where the genie talks about uh, living in this lamp, Right? And one of the things he says, he's like, phenomenal cosmic powers, itty bitty leaving space. Okay, well, okay, that God could say the same thing. He came as a, as a baby, this creation that to him is just so small. Phenomenal cosmic powers, itty bitty leaving space. To bring himself to that level is a tremendous thing that God has done. But then, let's go a little bit further in here. Uh, let's look at uh, Philippians. We look at Philippians 2, 6, and 7. It says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So that goes back to what God has done for us. He could have very easily said, No, I'm God. Are you kidding? You walked away from me, God. You're man, I'm God. We're done here. We're done. But that's not what he did. He didn't look at, it, at himself and say, you know, this is something I need to hold on to. I'm God, and man, I'm not leaving this position. I'm not, I'm not willing to step out of my, uh, my heavenly realm, right? No, he comes down. He says, no, I'm going I'm to take on the, the form of man with all of their uh, hurts and problems and, and emotional dealings and everything else that they have to go through, 
Jesus stubbed his toes. He probably hit his thumb with a hammer when he, because he was a carpenter. He probably did all of those things. He felt pain. We certainly know he felt pain at the crucifixion. So he dealt with all the limitations and all the situations that we had. He didn't have to do that. But that's what he did. Philippians 2.8 goes on a little bit further. It says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is where we get to the crux of our value, the real part of it. God knew that to get out of our sin, that death was, that death was the punishment that we had. That's what was facing us, was death. And God... In his, his desire, his, his, his value that he places on you and me and everybody else, it's like, no, 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 I'm taking that punishment. I don't want them to have to do that. That's not even a punishment they can serve. I'm taking that punishment. And he puts himself down. He actually puts himself at the mercy of the very people who turn away from him and allows those same people to beat him, to whip him, put a crown of thorns on his head to spit on him to hit him and then get two pieces of wood put him in a form of a cross put him out on top of that and hammer nails into him put him up, put him up almost for a show in front of everybody make a mocking sign over his head and then lastly to jam a spear through his side put himself in the hands of his own creation knowing they would do that to him. Who among us, if we created something that we knew was going to do that to us, would even do it? Would even start the creation? I'll I'll be honest, I would not. I might seem like a nice guy up here. I'm not that nice. (laughs) Okay? If I knew I was going to create something and it was going to come back, and beat me up, and so on and so forth. Nah. Nah, I got a sock drawer to rearrange. I got other stuff to do. I don't need to make creations that are going to beat on me. And then Acts 10.40, it's just the first part of that. But God raised him on the third day. Well, where does that, where, 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 where does that talk about our value with him? Well, he's, he's alive today. He's, still, he, he, he's, he's allowed the relationship to continue. He's defeated, he's defeated death and hell. He's come, and he, that means he's, he's alive today. He has a relationship with you today. He'll have a relationship with you for the, for, forever. The value you have all of a sudden changes from absolutely zero value, if you're looking at a physical aspect of how everything came about, to an, an eternal value that can't be measured in the eyes of God because of things that he's done for you and for me. If God sees people this same way, if he's gone to all this effort, he's, he's done all these things to make sure that people are valued and loved and brought back into relationship, what should we be doing? What should we be doing? What should I be doing here in Spain, in Texas, wherever it happens to be, what should I be doing with that information? Shouldn't I be valuing people the same way? 
shouldn't I be seeing people through the eyes of God and saying, no, this person is worth giving up something for, they're worth sacrificing for, it's worth giving part of my life for, not because they've done anything special for me, not because they gave me something, not because they were nice to me a lot, but because they are a creation of God. There's a song by Audio Adrenaline that I really like called Kings and Queens, and one of the lyrics will say, girls will become kings, or excuse me, boys will become kings, girls become queens, wrapped in your majesty when we love the least of these. Our value has been added because God wants us to take part in this. He didn't even have to let us do that. He doesn't have to let us take part in any of his big plan. He could do it all himself. But he's allowed us. He's given us opportunity. You can go into these broken homes and these broken lives and you can love people. You can see how they become kings and queens wrapped in my majesty by the way you treat these people. You get to be a part of that. This is the value you hold. This is the value they hold utmost importance as I went through today this is essentially we, we kind of went through the, the gospel right we went through the gospel in, in, in a lot of ways we see where where we separate ourselves from God we have a need for him to uh, to bring us back he's died for our sins he rose again we, we, we see that truly where how we express value to other people we can do great things. We can help them be fed. And these are all important things. But really, it's the gospel. The, sharing the gospel is what is going to make them feel important. And I'll tell you what, when you share the gospel with somebody else, you feel the same value. It's amazing how that works. How God had this system of being able to say, I'm going to give you something, a story that you can share with others where as you're sharing it, not only are they feeling valued, but at the same time, you are feeling valued by the Creator God. I have a five-minute video that we're going to watch real quick here, and then I'll come back up and uh, close this in prayer. Uh, but we're going to listen to the gospel message. Some of you have seen this video before, some not. But we're going to hear the gospel message, and I want you to sit and listen, and I want you to hear and understand and see the value that God has placed on you and placed on the people around you. All right? It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told. God. Yes? God. The maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance. Seen and unseen. What can and can be touched. Thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans. God. All of it is handiwork. One of which is masterpiece. Made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery. The concept so cold. It's the reason I stay bold. How God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, infinitely fond. Creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints. As if the system ain't working. And used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. 
And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny, our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It don't need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer, an asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection. But silly us, trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list. Because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says is part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone got to be perfect. Or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness his death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in Him, and Him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes. So you may not be able to share the gospel exactly that way, but you can share. Let's close. Lord, I just thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand not just our value that you see through you, 
but the value of other people. That we would understand that the people around us are infinitely important. And as we travel to work, to school, whether we go overseas, whether we stay home, that we'd be willing to stand up and, and share the gospel. That, that good news, bad news of, yes, we're lost, but you have redeemed us. Lord, I just pray that we would see how we can be involved in people's lives to that end. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to remind us of what we mean to you and what others mean to you. We pray that we'd bring that with us this week and we'd each and every one of us be able to share the gospel with somebody this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand with me as we close our service, as we sing Aaron's Blessing.